Let's begin by a rosary of uh, Chenrezig, declaration of uh, compassion and wisdom for all sentient beings. This morning, in this uh, magnificent dream world of uh, pure appearances, uh, with any questions, do you have any questions about practice and non-practice and anything that is coming up? You don't have to. It's just I, I quite enjoy when they do arise. Back to dreams. On to dreams. Let me read from another book. There's a wonderful uh, example um, of the of dream. Oh, some interesting emails. <laughs> By the way, I've seen that done. I have seen that done. The beginning of a Dharma talk, not this being, but 
I've seen that done. When I poke my tongue like that, See if I can find the, the dream here. This is in the Chittamatra section of the Progressive Stages of Emptiness by um, Gamsa Rinpoche. Very, very beautiful book, by the way. It's, it's a body of work that I've received from Namjur Rinpoche in a five-week retreat. It was wonderful. And uh, I often teach from it, and teach of it, and have done a lot of contemplation from this particular text. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. So he gives a dream example, uh, which I think is, is wonderful. It's interesting that, let me, I'll say this and I'll say it again afterwards, that in the Chittamatran view, the so-called mind-only uh, view of uh, the way things are, is that they're, they've never, they never said, and nor did they ever propose that dreams, this is where it's very interesting, you know, people make black and white statements. So if you say that dreams and waking life are identical, that may not be true. Would you say that dreams and waking life are identical? The question know. is, pardon? I don't know. No, but, but would you say, just would most people say? They'd say, no, they're quite different, right? The question is why? And then number two, the question is, they may be different just as a two different coffees are different. They may be different just like two different flowers are different. They may be different... Would you say that a flower, like a little bush, a little flower in a bush is different than a tree? Anybody? Why? Size, shape, color. But essentially, are they both plants? <coughs> They're very similar. Just because one's small and one's big. How about something that, that has... Um, how about the difference between... I'm um, getting into areas that I'm not so very good at. Uh, fungi. How about fungi and plants? Would you say fungi, mushrooms and plants are the same? Some people say yes. For a long time, people said, yeah, mushrooms, plants, they kind of pop out of the earth and send out spores, right? Seeds. They're completely not alike. But there's a similarity, yes? So would you say that dreams and waking life are fairly similar? Yes. But they're different, yes? The Chichamatrans never said they're the same. They just said, in essence, in substance, they're identical. This is a very important point. When you enter into contemplation, is you have to give up all the little outers for going to the essence, asking the big question. So if it appears, actually, I can go on. This is, this is one of my favorite topics, both in science and daily life is just because something, and this, is, this has been a big problem in science. Just listen to this one carefully, because it trips up a lot of people, and it's tripped up some great, great researchers. Just because something looks the same, you know the word morphologically? Just because it looks the same morphologically doesn't mean at, in any way it's related to that which looks similar to it. This is a very big problem. So let me give you an example. Uh, you've heard that when we, uh, or any mammal, but mostly, let's say humans, develop in the womb, 
we go through all the evolutionary stages. You, you've, you've heard that, you know, kind of there's a stage we look like a fish and a stage we look like a pig and, and so on. Just because we look, just because an embryo or fetus looks like that, does that mean that because it looks like it, it's actually related to a fish or a pig? You see? We do that all the time. So we look at something, we hear something, and we instantly make a connective story because the human consciousness so badly wants a narrative story to fill in. Because we, I, I call it anxiety. Now, some others might call it the worry mind, but I like the word anxiety because of its, its German root angst, yes, angst, which is kind of a friction. It's human beings don't like friction. So they like to have a story to reduce the anxiety, reduce the worry mind, like in dreams. You know, you solve things in dreams. You can get up in the morning and go, Whew. or you make a movie, or you write a book. I know someone who, right now who's writing a book, uh, and it has to do with their childhood. And as far as I'm concerned, the reason for writing the book is a lot to do with working out childhood uh, and uh, anxiety. Driven, but that story has to be written. It feels like it has to be written. It doesn't have to be, but it feels like it has to be written. So just because something looks like something, doesn't mean there's any relationship. We've seen this over and over and over again. Just because something hears, uh, sounds like something, just because something tastes like something, just because something feels the same. I'm touching the teacup, and now I'm going to touch the teapot. I go, oh, they're the same. May have no bearing whatsoever, correct? Okay, so just because a dream and waking life uh, are fairly similar, they may have no basis, but we have to find out why they do, if they do. Right? So you have to investigate that. But watch for that. Just watch for the, the human ability, the human need to have stories for everything, and to have really good explanations that may have no basis in fact whatsoever. And I, give, I gave you that example yesterday about obesity. Yes? Many, many people are obese, but they're, they're told it's their psychological problem. Right? May have nothing to do with that. You see? Just because there's thoughts in there that aren't such nice thoughts. I know people, for instance, when I've met them, they, they, they tell me they've got difficult problems with anxiety or worry. And I start to listen to them, and I start to you know, spend time. Otherwise, they actually don't worry much about anything. They just get overwhelmed with floods of anxiety. Interesting, eh? But they're told that their thoughts are doing it. Well, they are. They're told by people, well, you're having difficult thoughts, or they relate it, so they'll have a bad thought after, or difficult thought afterwards. Then they go, oh, well, that must have been the trigger. Do you get what I'm saying? But watch out for stories that may have no basis in fact. Life's complicated. How do you know that you are not dreaming right now? This is worth investigating. 
you know, take a piece of paper, sit down and go, how do I actually know I'm not dreaming right now? This has been this has been explored in many cultures at many times. Right? There's a famous one about the Chinese gentleman. Was it Lao Tzu? Yeah, Lao Tzu, not knowing if he was a butterfly, dreaming as a butterfly, and then and then being a human being and not knowing which one was the dream and which one was real. Butterfly or human? Was the butterfly dreaming it was a human? or the human dreaming it was a butterfly. How do we actually know? <coughs> That's you. May you feel, maybe you feel like saying, quote, because dreams are never so vivid as this, colors are not so bright. So you dream that you're a butterfly and it's incredibly vivid. Mm-hmm. It's startlingly beautiful. I mean, you're flitting around, right? That couldn't be like it is in daily life. Would you agree or disagree? Disagree. How many people have, some people in this room, I suspect, have very, very dream, vivid dream lives, yes? Or some have very kind of toned down and it changes, yes? So is that one way of distinguishing? No. Because dreams are never so vivid as this, colors are not so bright, form, sound, smells, touch, and tastes are not so clear and precise. Is that true? You have to examine it. True. Okay. However, someone else might disagree and say his dreams are even more vivid than his daytime experiences, or less vivid. Does this then make the dream his dream waking experience and his waking experience a dream. This is not just a mind trying to do anything. It's very important because the delusory mind makes up stories that may not be, be in fact the case. Does it mean if your faculties become impaired so that you no longer experience things so clearly and precisely that your life becomes a dream? So let's say you have macular degeneration. Yeah, in the eyes, and your hearing begins to go, and so on. Are you now, because it has features like a dream, is that now called a dream? Mm. What happens if everything becomes, because of your eyesight, becomes filmy? And in a way, kind of feels like your dreaming life. Would that constitute evidence that's a dream? So, on further reflection, you might suggest that you know that you are not dreaming because the continuity of your life. How continuous is life experience? Or is that a story? What would happen if you really spent three months or six months in retreat, really honing in on daily life to see how, if in fact, if it is continuous? or if it's punctuated by blank spots and by daydreams, or in fact, a lot of the waking life is nothing but a daydream, a waking dream. It could be the story that we tell ourselves after coming out of a daydream is, I was daydreaming and now I'm awake, when in fact, that's not the case. Everything is in, a predictable, is in predictable places. Is that the reason why? There is a sense of cause and effect. 
regularity, an established pattern of events and so on. How stable is your life? How regular is it? Is everything in the right place? What would happen if things are not in the right place? We'd say, oh gosh, I think I'm dreaming. You might say that dreams are not like that, that, that dreams are unpredictable. How many people have predictable dreams? Just kind of daily life dreams. You go to go sleep, and it's just like what happens in life. No? Sometimes. Some? Sometimes. Okay. How about in daily life, do you have any times where it feels like it's a dream and it's a bit bizarre? Like, what's happening? And how come I can't think my way through this? And why is this all occurring? And yes, a bit bizarre, isn't it? Ever had things that appear to you in daily life as having bizarre changes? Kind of like Alice in Wonderland a little bit? There is no real continuity, and you might find yourself in any place, time, shape, or form in a dream. Can you do that in daily life? Find yourself in a kind of altered state? Yes. Can you find yourself in a place where you go, wake up suddenly? I've known people do that and go, what was I doing for 10 years? Do you know I've, I've met people who've come to me and say, my God, the other day I woke up and I went, what am I doing? I've been in the same job or I've been doing this in a relationship I don't even like the person and I've been there for 10 years. They're just like stunned. I know people have gotten into jobs and they, I said, how did you end up in that job? Someone said to me, would you like this job? And I took it. And I've been there for 20 years. I just woke up and realized I don't want to be, I, I've never wanted to be there. Interesting, eh? Mm -hmm. It's nice to discover that before you die. Yes. <laughs> Good point, Barry. Positive thinking. Yeah. That's the positive side of that. <laughs> I'm not going to go around the room, of course. No, that's not necessary to go around. So has that happened to you? But, but this, ha I would say, happens a lot. And I've asked a number of people, how did you get there? And some people say to me, I don't know. Like... I don't know. It sounds like a dream, eh? It just happened to me. I ended up in that life situation. Or I saw an ad in a paper. Or someone just came along and uh, said, come on with us. And now we're, I've been doing this thing for 15 years. Quite something, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Does that sound like a dream? <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare. Or a positive thing, right? Positive. Positive. I had a beautiful dream. Once I, I skipped high school class, in high, which I often did, but I skipped a high school class, a beautiful sunny day like this in the spring in, in Toronto, and uh, uh, I, I wanted to find a Dharma teacher, a meditation master, the night before. I stood, sat in a bed with a friend of mine, Randy Gangbar, and I said, that's it. I'm finding a guru. Meditation master. Well, the next day I decided to skip school. Well, I was skipping. I was on the lawn in front of school. Like thought there's a beautiful lawn in front of school, and I decided to skip it. And there was a lady beside me, and another lady on the other side. And uh, one of them was a yoga teacher, and the other person was uh, an artist. But we were all skipping that day. <laughs> sounds like sounds like something out of Guru Rinpoche practice, eh? <laughs> lady here, 
young lady here? And one said to the other one, across, across me, they weren't even talking to me, said, oh, about where do you go on, yeah, on Tuesdays? And this person said, well, I go and study meditation, go to a meditation class, a um, Buddhist meditation class. And this person said, oh, that's interesting, who is it? She started, they're talking back and forth. And all of a sudden I go, I'm going. <laughs> and this person um, said, well, you can't go, it's closed. No, no more. She's not accepting any more people. And this person says, oh, okay. And I said, well, that's too bad. I'm going. So I ended up going. But do you see the dream? This person didn't respond. This person did. The other person who wanted to find a teacher, who when I was there and went, I'm finding a teacher, said, I'm going too. Never made it. I think tried four or five times. Bus broke down. Bicycle had a flat tire. Right? Never made it. Does that sound like a dream? Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah? Are you saying then, I like the way he does this, are you saying then that if a dream were to stabilize so that there, there was a continuity and a fairly predictable pattern of events, if, if then it were to continue for long periods of time and your waking experiences were only to last for brief periods, in which you were very confused and disorientated, then the dream would have become waking experience and the waking experience a dream. Does that constitute the difference? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had long dreams? Really long dreams. They seem to go on and on and on and on. How do we know? How do we know? For after all, it is not unusual for people to dream of ordinary situations that they have got up and had their breakfast and gone to work and so on. Um, there's a story in, in here in here, about uh, a dream of, of uh, being a stockbroker. I think it's a stockbroker, but not from the Monty Python skit. Do you ever see that skit of the Monty Python with a stockbroker? No, it's a good one. Just the ordinary life of a London stockbroker. That's cool. I think it's, it's got like natives coming in with spears and the whole thing. You know, it's just really, really great. But anyways, so there, you're, you're dreaming of being a stockbroker, but when you go, so your your, your daily life is dreaming of stockbroker. But when, at night, you dream of taking a Chinese examination for being in the bureaucracy of China, but you have to pass the examination. This goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, which one do you concentrate on? Well, during the day, you concentrate on being a good stockbroker, but at night, you have to concentrate on passing your exams, so you have to study. It's a very good example. So which which one actually is the real so-called real life? And I'm going to ask something that isn't asked in here, and not, none of these books, is have you ever had dreams that have been as important decision-making in dreams in other words, the message in the dream, the teaching in the dream, has been as important as anything that's ever occurred in waking life that has shaped your life. Yes, for this being. Happens every every once in a while, frequently. And I take dreams as being significant part of life, as the waking experience. Why? Because they can actually determine, if you let them determine and shape many important things. You may laugh at the suggestion that you are dreaming now. Are you laughing? Are you laughing at the suggestion you're dreaming now? I think you're actually very, I feel you're a very mature group. 
really, because most of you have really good experience where you can actually you can actually see and experience. Wait a minute, this is very much like a waking dream, especially when you add up all the moments of uh, drifting off into daydream and fantasy. But even right now, are you so sure? What tells you that this is wake awake? And why do we say that dreams are not awake? Maybe they're very awake. Just a different alteration of the self. These are things that aren't really brought out in these books. Does that feel right? That the self, the view of self is altered, therefore we say it's not waking, it's dream. But that doesn't mean it's any less valid. Wait a minute. How many hours do we dream a day and night? Should we add it up? How many episodes of rapid eye movement periods are there per night? At least four or five, sometimes six. Okay? Major episodes. And that doesn't include the dreaming that's outside of REM. How many times in a day? 65 to 95 to 97% of the day? Right? Daydreams and fantasies? So who's saying that waking life is not a dream life and that dreaming is not absolutely critical for being awake. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? This is important. Why do we discount dreams? As And, and there's researchers today that say dreams are, have no basis in any importance whatsoever. It's just a random uh, shuffling around of neurons firing at night. That there's no significance, no meaning to any dreams. What kind of dreams are they having? <laughs> Obviously random and boring. Obviously random and boring and not full of meaning. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, just I'm giving you now my view. Okay, so I'm giving you this Bisping's view from my experience. Uh, I don't believe there's any random activity. Everything has a story. Everything tells an incredible story if you can unravel it. Uh, maybe that's years of studying Freud. But my experience is, is that everything tells, it might not be that interesting, but every single phenomena, outer, inner, dream, non-dream, tells a story, is telling a story, is displaying to mind, here I am, it has meaning. There's nothing that does not have meaning, even if it's random. You may laugh the suggestion that you are dreaming now. You may think that if you were asleep and dreaming, everybody would stop interacting with you. Is that true? If you interact with people in the dream, are, are, does that mean that people aren't interacting with you, or is that because it has a little different quality in dreams? They would tell you when you woke up that you had been dreaming. Do you think that's true? How do people know that you're dreaming? Because they're putting an electrode in your eye? Will your friends tell you? So there's no way that one could confuse dreaming with waking because people would tell you you've been, sleep, you've been dreaming, right? That's not true. That's not true. However, there is no inherent reason why you should not dream that people have woken you up and told you that you have just awakened from a dream. There's no reason. Have you ever had that? I have. Woken up, 
someone or said, oh, I've been dreaming, but realized I'm still dreaming. Perfectly, perfectly woken up. Perfectly well. I've had this many times in my life. My mother used to tell me I could do that. Woken up, totally lucid, and realized I was dreaming. Or how about this, which they don't often talk about. While you're dreaming, you can be completely aware of everything that's happening in the room. Why? How's that possible? Because afterwards you tell the person that was in your room that they were in your room and they were taking a book out of your bookshelf. But you were snoring and dreaming. How's that done? Have you had that? Finally, one has to admit that there is no characteristic of waking experience that clearly distinguishes it from dreaming. There's no real, true characteristic where we can say, this is dreaming and this is awake. Do you believe that? Maybe not. It is only a matter of degree and of one's emotional predisposition, whether we feel we're dreaming or not dreaming. How many people have had dreams that have been lucidly clear, as if they're perfectly like waking life, meaningful and clear? Anybody? Yeah. Any difference at all? Talking to someone, having a meaningful conversation, sun shining, out in the patio. I think there is a difference for me. It's not always the case, but I think there's less body body sensations in dreams. Correct. I agree. Most people feel that way? Less body sensations. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes in a dream I have to go to the bathroom, for instance. And then when I wake up, have you ever gone to the bathroom? Anybody gone to the bathroom in a dream? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, good point, Laurel. Uh, would all of you say that there's less sensory, multi-sensory experience in a dream? In generally speaking, in dreams, less tasting, less drinking, less touching, less hearing. Less fear? I know some people have very fearful dreams all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. Anxiety dreams all the time. All the time. For years and years and years and years and years. So is that the only indication? That's generally... I've found that's generally the case for most people, that less sensory phenomena. But does that prove that one's dreaming? Or is that just a relative difference in degree between what happens at night and what happens during the day. So what we normally do, we say it's a mind phenomena. Why? Because it's mostly visual. So what's the difference between right now? Is most of what you're experiencing right now mind phenomena? Yes. When was the last time you actually felt your body? Or is the waking experience a pretend not dream? A pretend not dream. A story we tell ourselves to say, or that our parents tell us, now you're dreaming, 
and now you're not. This is awake, and this is not. Who here used to fly in dreams when you were a kid? Did you ever jump off something so-called awake and find it hurt? Yes. Yes. So that's different, isn't it? Ever, ever, but have you ever jumped? Have you ever had a dream where you've jumped off something or and you hurt yourself? Yes. Crashed? Yes. Fallen out of bed. Fallen out of bed. But something's happened in a dream where it actually hurt. Yeah. So, what they're saying here, and the whole argument that has been that's been given for over a thousand years, is that no matter how hard you investigate, you really can't come up with a good reason. While during the waking, you're not dreaming, and while dreaming, you're not awake. You just don't know. No one's been able to, except by degree. But that's not entirely the point. I'm, I'm saying that because that's always given as the example about why dream is illusory, but doesn't really speak to the heart of it. I'm, I'm giving that because it's classic, but actually there's something deeper, which I mentioned last night. Okay. Why do we use dream as the major example of illusion? Because in waking life, the mind's actually dreaming, confused about what is actually reality. That's the important point here. The important point is in dream and in waking life, both are a confusion as to what objects of mind are and self. The self is taken as a real entity, and the objects, the contents of mind, the experiences of mind, are taken as real entities, when in fact they're not. That's that's the dream. That's why the dream is used as an example. It's an illusion. So let's take it. Can you feel right now? This is this is this is worth doing over and over and over again, and then in the dream and post dream. Can you? Did anybody have a dream last night? Anybody have a dream? Dreams? Can you recall the feeling of self in the dream? Did it have a different quality than the waking self? What was the difference, Eric Kelly? What's the difference? I was completely Someone completely different. Has it ever happened to you in in daily life that you're completely different? Multiple personalities? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I dreamt, I saw the dream in the reflection of a mirror. I, I was mm. in a mirror and mm. the dream was happening. That was quick. That was quick. <laughs> and what did you see? Oh, um, I saw my husband and my son. In the, in the mirror? Yeah. Yeah. But they were, I don't have a husband and son. Uh-huh. 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 So what is it that you see in a mirror normally? No, you don't see self. What do you see? Kelly just Kelly just pointed out. What do you see when you look in a mirror? Projection. A projection. Just as the mirror projects, well, we almost covered that entire chapter now. Just as a mirror projects, what is the self now? The self image is what? A projection. Why? Do we know that we can change the experience of self? Has anyone here had a different self lately? You woke up in the morning, or you did something, that's not me. What? Wait a minute. 
I'm not like that. Does that happen before? Yeah. Sometimes middle middle age, uh, mid midlife crisis. Middle age. Wait a minute. I'm doing something that I normally don't do. I'm acting like a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know. I enjoyed that bomber jacket I bought in in Antigua. And I put it on. As soon as I put it on, I went, wow. Just like just like being like 16, 18 years old. Yeah, sort of thing I would have bought at that age. You know. I thought, okay, I'm gonna wear this. Isn't that fun? I enjoy that. Or the, or this hat. You know. Just keep changing it. Changing changing appearances. So. What, what really do we see in a mirror? That which we imagine. This is why the dream example is so important. That which we imagine, we take as being inherently real. If it doesn't fit the story, we say it's dreaming. If it fits the story, we say it's normal. So you see how tenacious the clinging to appearances? It's tenacious. It's, it's tough. It's really thick. So now why the deity yoga? Why some of us teachers emphasize so much deity yoga practice, yidam yoga practice? Why? Because the thickest clinging for most of us is our appearance and our appearance of self. And if we transform it into multiple personalities, Kelly, no, I'm just kidding, right? It doesn't lead to liberation. So, for instance, let's say, what I'm going to do is, to free myself of appearances, I'm going to buy a pink hat. Does that work? No. Okay. So, to free myself of appearances, I'll buy a jacket so I look like a 10-year-old. Does that work? No. Well, I'll go so far, well, let, me, let, me, let me continue this, because I sometimes like to be a bit like a litigation lawyer, you know, or a courtroom lawyer and just nail it, right? Okay. If I buy a large yacht and get on the yacht and become a skipper, I'll change my appearance, I'll change my life, I'll go sailing around the Caribbean, right? That will do it, correct? Did it? Does it? No. Oh, I know. This is a, couple, this is a typical guy thing at about the age of 50, right? I hope you hope all the men here, well, you haven't, but... Well, you already have, right? If I buy myself a little sports car, a little fast sports car, right? And a little beanie hat. You know, the, you know the thing you see around Vancouver all the time, right? The single guy who's 50, 55, 60, driving a, a Lotus or an MGB, you know, then my life will change. Will that work? How about a new pair of shoes? New dress? Okay, let's go further. Don't feel comfortable with my appearance as my sex. I'll have a sex change operation. True? Thousands of people do that, right? Thousands and thousands of people do that. Does that actually free you from the illusion of appearance? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to the Arctic and become Inuit. I'll get an Inuit name, right? By the way, my Inuit name is Napatak, which means... um, uh, crystal, 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 crystal man, crystal man, yeah, Napatak. Uh, it also means a, um, a nukshuk. You know a nukshuk? The stone monuments, but there means a nukshuk that leads the way. That's, that's, that's the name. So, okay, I'll go and become part of, in, of Inuit or Tibetan or Burmese or Kenyan culture, and that will, that will take care of all my problems around identity. Good luck. 
So some people go to extreme things, they take off body parts. Do you know that? Yes, they go for operations and they take away body parts. They reshape their face, right? Mm -hmm. Augment their breasts mm -hmm. one way or another. Tummy tucks. Men, a lot of men now, right? Tummy tucks, right? Surgery. Does that work? Does that does that in any way relieve the burden of looking at the mirror and seeing an identity? You just get another identity, correct? Is this making sense? You just get another identity, another identity, and then a major thing: sex change operation. That's major. Hmm? Cheaper in Thailand, I understand. Just in case you're interested, I can give you a card of a good doctor. But no, but, but it does. For some, for some, you, they're, they're in a body. Just just th th think of it in terms of compassion. They're in a body, and the body doesn't feel comfortable, and never has felt comfortable in the sex that they were told they have. So they want to get out of that. That's a very uncomfortable situation. Like a person who lives in anxiety all day, a person that worries all day, a person who has a body that's a depressive body, or a manic body. Do, do, do you follow? So what does the person do? They do whatever they can to change the identity. But does it work? Another identity. So you see the heart of Dharma? The heart of Dharma is to free one from the burden, the dream, the illusion, the incessant some nightmare. For some, a nightmare. For others, gray life. For others, exciting. I'm the super pilot. I'm the whitewater rafter. I'm the mountain climber. Whatever it is, right? But that's not what we're talking about. You can keep changing identities, but how do you change the map so deeply that it actually frees you from the dukkha, the hell, the discomfort, the disease, the uncomfortableness of actually having a self-identity that has to be uh, either kept stable or changed, or fought with. Do you see the dilemma? So you can do it through insight meditation. But another way that's been developed is because the body map, the appearance map, is so deep and so difficult to change. In the tantric method, you take an enlightened, revealed enlightened body of an actual Buddha body and visualize so strongly and sound, make the sounds of it, that it changes your physiology from the inside out. This has to do with illusory body meditation, by the way. It's also known as illusory body. If you can do that so strongly, so deeply, that your body changes completely in Tevadra, or Yamataka, or Dorji Pomo, or White Tara, Green Tara, or Prajnaparamita, you know, or Demshog, there will be an experience where there's no longer you. It's gone, completely, utterly gone. And now there's the full body experience of the Adam. That's the mind of commitment. What's the commitment? Compassion. The mind of Yidam. Mind, Yid, mind of compassion. Mind, compassionate mind. So why would you do that? Why would you just pick an ordinary body? It doesn't work. Because you just have another ordinary body. Why wouldn't we pick a cat? You see, you ever heard of dog yoga in India? Yes. There's people that practice dog yoga. That means you'll become enlightened if you turn yourself into a dog. And people practice that still today. 
practicing the Buddha's time, they still practice thinking that they'll become enlightened, as the Buddha said to them when they asked, do you, O Lord, think that we'll become enlightened this way? He says, well, in a very polite way, no. What you'll become is a dog. So in order to make this change, well, they asked, they asked him. Yeah, they asked him. They, first of all, he said, have a cup of tea, you know, before he gave him the news. I, I forget. I must re-look that sit up again, but it's kind of nice. He's very polite for a while, and then he goes, and they say, so, we're practicing this yoga. What do you think? He goes, well, yeah, you'll become a dog. All right, but you won't become enlightened. So, the one method is to so radically change the appearance, both physiologically, internally, how the body is experienced, so deeply that there's an experience of actually changing completely out of this appearance that you have, completely into another being. But that being isn't an ordinary being. It has all the signs and manifestations of the full enlightened body. That's called the Adam Yoga. Why is it powerful? Because it's the maps that get in the way. You have to change the maps. But if you keep just changing the maps, as we normally do, you don't go anywhere. You just have more personalities to contend with. You see? So that, that to explain to you why the emphasis on tantric practice and not always on so-called insight meditation is that insight meditation sometimes is not strong enough in theory it is, but not strong enough as an illusory body meditation to really get in there and change the physiology. Okay? This is this is why. It's a powerful it's a powerful method. This is why I keep teaching it. Why I keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. I found it for myself rather uh, important. Very important. Now let's look at the fear associated with this. One one falls in love, what happens when you fall in love? You have no problem entering into the world of the other being that you fall in love with, right? Mm -hmm. And often they, not today, often they dress very similarly. Have you seen that? Have you seen couples where they start more and more and more <laughs> to start to look the same and maybe have the same little doggy? They're all they're walking down the street with the same doggy or the same cat. You know. <laughs> so blending becomes and the desire for blending, right? Unity, unity, that beautiful feeling of letting go into another being. Yeah, beautiful experience, isn't it? Letting go completely into the other and actually experiencing being the other. Whatever you say, dear, I, you know, if you want to eat rotten mushrooms. I'm all for that. <laughs> I know the bread's moldy, but I love you so much. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in it with you. Have you ever been in that state? Yeah, yeah, that's that's delicious wine. <laughs> but I'm so in love with you that I'm in bliss. Right? Isn't that a beautiful kind of radiant experience? So the time when, when most beings come the closest to Yadam Yoga is when they fall in love because they're actually willing to let their body, let their mind, let all these defenses go down to become the other because it's so glorious. The same in making love. That's why love is making love is so beautiful. Not sex. Making love is so incredible. 
if you can really let go, because you can let go into what? A blissful surrender. Fantastic, natural, blissful surrender into the other being. Or union, meshing of the two. But how many beings have the loving kindness and the openness and the trust in the universe to allow into themselves the enlightened mind, the body, speech, and mind of the enlightened being with 16 legs, 32 arms, right? 11 heads, different colored heads, dripping blood, you know, elephant skin, chopper, skull cup, right? No bloody way. And not only that, it's in sexual union with another being. I mean, this is, you know, and, and there's a whole retinue to watch too. You know, there's there's a being above and being below, and there's beings aside. And there's like 72 different beings in the mandala, all watching. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like really not so comfortable. You know, you've got the guru above your head, kind of watching what you're doing. Well, actually, the guru is supposed to come descend into your being, but you know, kind of like. Well, I'm with my consort. Would you just kind of go away? (laughs) So it takes tremendous, it takes tremendous openness and changing of the neural, let's say neurophysiological models to let the divinity in. I mean, people that practice, if you read, especially especially the beautiful description in St. John of the Cross where he describes allowing Christ into your heart. Guru Yoga. Beautiful description of Guru Yoga. Vyadam practice. And the faith required to let the divinity in the form of Christ dwell in your being. Fully dwell in your being. And you get out of the way. It's, it's so beautifully described. And this man was a great master. You see? But to do that, whether it's Christ or Guru Rinpoche or Hevadra or Red Shenrezi, whatever it is, requires really getting out of the way. Not just change of personality for today, but a wholesale change in physiology that re- that can lead to an amazing experience of transcendence and freedom. You see? Why? Because the greatest clinging that we have is mostly around our self-image and keeping it stable. It hurts. Has Have any of you, you have, right? Have any of you experienced going to the market, being around friends, and someone says something to you, or the teacher, or an authority figure, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, and says, you're a jerk. Or you're, you're just, that's just crappy behavior. Or, you're so nice. And that's just, you, you know, you're so brilliant. And what you did is so, lo- yeah. Yeah. But the minute it's, 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 why do you do that? Days. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah. Hmm? Ever happen? Yeah. Yeah. It can happen like this, right? What is it? So, Kelly, what is it? Looking in the mirror, and what is it? Projection. Projection. Seeing yourself a certain way, and it must be always a certain way. Look at the mass of clinging. But imagine you're in the body of the blissful Yidam. 
and someone goes, you're a jerk. Yeah, jerk, a pigeon, a tree, the universe. Whatever you'd like to reflect in the mirror is just fine. Keep on reflecting. Keep throwing out the mirror. Keep throwing out the images. Keep throwing out the images. It's fine. Is it? So this is why the so in illusory body practice, as taught in the six chos, the the the, the six uh, doctrines of Naropa, there's an impure and a pure illusory body practice. The impure is using the mirror. The pure is actually turning into the Yidam. And turning into the Yidam so much that what happens? Other beings begin to see it. This has happened. Other beings can now actually see the transformation. Some beings. Some beings. Not all beings. Usually it's invisible. But some beings will go, Whoa, there's Chenrezig. Whoa, there's Dorji Palma. There's it. You know, it's, right, it's right there. It's very clear. It's very clear to the, to the beings that can see it. The actual physiology changes that much. Right. Are you still a human being? Yes. But what really are you? Enlightened manifestation. So illusory body is profound changes of the inner physiology into freedom. Some beings have been reported to do it so deeply, so profoundly deeply, that they actually disappear into a rainbow body, believe it or not. All the elements actually let go. All the physiology lets go, part of body lets go, and they actually vanish. This has been reported too, by the way. At death, the last one that's been actually documented and reported in Tibet was, I believe, about 15 or 20 years ago. The last rainbow body transformation. Yeah. There's a practice, in, for instance, in uh, Vajragini, Dorji Pomo, of um, uh, practicing to such a high degree this level that in the lifetime, without dying, the body actually completely vanishes into space. I haven't experienced this, so I don't know. I'm just telling you by, by history. So this illusory body goes all the way from your freedom to an extraordinary level of compassion freedom, done for, for compassion. That's how thick the dream is. So you want to know what this illusory body practices for, why the dreams, is because the dream is so thick and causes tr such terrific suffering. Hell. Hell. I hope you never doubt, I hope you never doubt what human beings get up to and sentient creatures get. You know the nice little birds? Mm -hmm. the nice little birdies? <laughs> Ever spent time with nice little birdies? <laughs> the, you know the cute ones? <laughs> As they attack each other, take food away from each other, sometimes kill each other, rape each other. Yeah. Nice little birdies. They look cute. Might be time, if you have any doubts about human suffering and what human beings go through, travel to Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, some parts of India, just to get an idea, just, just kind of get it over with. Maybe Guatemala, certain places, certain times, get it over with. Maybe even a reserve, right? Northern Canada. Up in the Arctic. When you go trying to go home, one nice pristine night, and there's been a shooting, and it's all cordoned off. Why? Because your neighbor has taken a rifle and killed all 
killed all their family and themselves. You want to talk about hell? What's it to do with? All around this issue of self-image. Nothing more. Hell for some people, not so much hell for some, mediocre hell for others, gray for others, and exciting for others when it's all going right. But it's hell for many people. Millions and millions and millions of people. And I know many people, so-called ordinary, bright, North Americans, Europeans, who go through absolute hell day after day because of nothing. And they're bright, they're lovely, they cook, they are interested in life, but they go through hell internally and externally because of the whole thing around their image. Who are they? What are they? How do they feel? What are these sensations? What are these raging emotions? And why do I look the way I do? Why am I the way I am and I don't like it? Is this, this familiar? This, is, this should bring about great compassion and uh, bring about in you, I hope, a heart to become free to help beings out of this. This is a terrible tragedy. It's not needed. So that's why the, the dream example is beings are awake but they're actually in a dream. They're in a dream, but they're dreaming even a different level. They don't even know they're dreaming. Okay? So that's why the word Buddha means awake. Awake. Come out of the dream. Come out of the illusion. Awake. I'll just finish this paragraph off. I can read any paragraph in this book. It's lovely. It's always lovely. Yeah? One, one of those great classics. It will become a great, great, great classic. The Progressive Stages of Emptiness that by Gemsa Rinpoche. If you were to seriously doubt that you were awake, you would feel frightened and confused, wouldn't you? And that's what happens to people in meditation sometimes. Sometimes. They either get really blissful, like, wow, this is amazing freedom. Or, uh-oh. Ah! Yeah, why? Because it's confusing. The stability gets shattered. You know? All of a sudden, just being here and going, where did self go? That's an uncomfortable feeling for some people. Where did the body sensations go? <sighs> Vanished. How about when, how about anybody ever lost their hearing or their eyesight? Barry? I know people who lose their eyesight and, some, and hearing or touch or taste or smell and they're very frightened. They go into terrible fear states, yes? About what's in, what's in store for them. Them. What's, what about me? The stability of the experience of being awake reassures you so you believe in it and give it a reality that you do not afford to dreams. Is that correct? He's right on. Well, it's been taught for thousands of years, yes. Sorry, can you say that one again? Sure. But don't be sorry. I like the fact that you've requested that. It's good. The stability of the experience of being awake reassures you so you believe in it and give it a reality that you do not afford dreams. I'm awake. I'm awake, I have stability. 
Jamie, when you were standing yesterday there, was it stable? Yes. Yes. Did you try it later? Uh, no. No. Have you anybody tried it? Just standing and going, am I standing on a floor? How many people did you try it? What happened? Um, Andrea? It was not really a floor. What was it? Was it disconcerting at all? Was it uncomfortable? Yeah, it was almost like Alice in Wonderland. Could just Did you feel the dissolution of the, st- the stability created by the mind? Yeah. Uh, this is worth trying. Worth trying. Stand on the floor. Often happens and stand. It, it. I wish it happened more. <laughs> but do lots of standing. Classic Burmese. Vipassana walking practice, standing, and start to see what happens to the body-mind as you place more and more concentration on what's really happening, not what you imagine to happen. Anybody else? Anne? Let go. Yeah. But now what do we normally say? If I see it, I'll believe it. But if I feel it, I don't necessarily trust it. Isn't that cool? We're such visual creatures now. If I see it, then it's all fine. But if I hear it, taste it, touch it, it is not necessarily what I believe. So that is why insight is faster with touch than with the visual, because the visual is so deeply conditioned that it gets in the way. If I see it, I believe it. Let me show it to me, then I'll believe it. Show it to me. But if you touch it, someone goes, yeah, well, I didn't see it, did I? I'd like you to all try that. Stand and really ask yourself, Get, get the concepts out of the way, but everyone else, uh, what is really being experienced? What's really being experienced? And if you sink into the earth and come out the other side of the planet, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. You'll be fine. Even if you're over in Australia, someone will find you. It's okay. Somewhere in Sydney or in Queens, they'll, they'll find you. It's all right. We'll, we'll get a call. Just take your, just take your um, a business card or take your passport, take your driver's license. You'll, we'll get a call because you know you won't show up the next day. Be fine. Many, many people, yeah, maybe people in this room have experienced very clearly, very vividly, traveling through the earth, sinking through the floor. Yeah, anybody in the room? You can put your hands up. Yeah, traveling through mountains and vividly, clearly, vividly. One time at the Dharma Center, we had exercise. We actually had to recover, not only do that, but actually recover what was inside the room and recall what was actually inside the room without knowing. If you were to seriously doubt you were awake, you would feel frightened and confused. The stability of the experience of being awake reassures you so you believe in it and give it a reality that you do not afford to dreams. If you suffer in a dream, 
you are happy to let it go, right? If you're happy in a dream, you're, you want to keep it the next morning and dream about it again and again and again. Does does make sense about the human condition? Wow, that was an amazingly blissful experience. I wonder if I could do that again. Is this like meditation? That was so cool. I wonder if it's going to happen the next session and the next session, the next session. That's called suffering. Hmm? Wanting what you don't have is suffering. Wanting what you may never get again is suffering. Being conjoined with what you don't want is suffering. Being conjoined with what you want is suffering. Why? <coughs> because it will never be the same ever again. You'll just imagine the same. Hmm? You'll find out you really didn't want it. Yeah, or it just is. Yeah, maybe that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's an ex, yeah that's the ex, extreme case maybe. But um, yes, that's true. But also, uh, if you look at it and you try to reproduce it, that happiness. It's never quite the same. You just imagine it's the same. Try to get back to the same. You know, when we were together, it was so blissful. Let's go do that again. Let's go back to the same resort, dear. Let's go back to the same resort in Tahiti. We had such a wonderful time. Except the knots and the mosquitoes moved in in the, in the last three years. Yeah. And it's now infested with vermin. <laughs> Or even better, climate change has happened in three years and it's underwater. <laughs> Who knows? And of course, what's happened to the two, the two couple, the couple? They've changed. Every day, every moment. If you suffer in a dream, you are happy to let it go when it ends, feeling reassured that it was not real anyway. If you suffer in what you call your waking life, you get emotionally involved in it and afford the status of absolute reality. Does anybody ever had that experience? Like, in other words, the emotion is real, right then, right there. Like when getting sick, you're not sure if you're ever going to get better. It's what is real right now. Isn't that extraordinary? But if it was a dream, you might be able to go, the dream. Just need to wake up from it. Hmm? Maybe you need a friend to say, wake up, come out of it. This is the guru. Yeah? Or the spiritual friend. Wake up, come out of it. Wake up, come out of it. You don't need to be like that. There's an alternative. Wake up, wake up, come out, come out. Making any sense? Yeah. I'm caught. I'm caught. Now, how are you going to practice this? This, this, uh, sometimes I, I go, oh, I see, give out these practices, give out these things, and people don't know how to practice. So I'm going to read from you a practice text of Mahamudra and Six Yogas where it actually teaches you how to do these things. The, the method. The method of contemplation. Because often the method of contemplation really isn't given. It's an art. It's like a, almost like a... Uh, not a dying art. But. This is a collection of um, instructions and teachings of Mahamudra, but in it are also the uh, other yogas. So, for instance, let's see, maybe go a little bit earlier than that. 
So training in the impure illusory body, attaining that which has not been attained. This is called practice one of the um, of the impure illusory body in the Kagyu tradition. I'm going to skip some of it. First of all, the physical posture, meditation on impermanence, meditation on birth and death. These are all the common preliminaries. Contemplate how fixation on the reality of all these external appearances, being happy, being dead, all the relatives, everything, everything passes. Contemplate how fixation on the reality of all these external appearances, such as form, has caused you to wander in samsara, has, wan- has caused you to wander in attracted to appearances and never satisfied, wanting another, wanting another, and rebirth. If you examine and analyze all these appearances, this is nothing that I haven't taught, so I'm just going to give you the teaching and then the actual way in which you contemplate. If you examine and analyze all these appearances, you will see that they are non-existent like dreams and illusions. Like echoes and drumbeats, they appear because of conditions. They're interdependent. Nothing arises without conditions to support it. There's nothing, including you, that isn't being supported interdependently by thousands and thousands of factors. How are you sitting on this floor right now? The floor is holding up. How did this floor get here? And so on. So, And then, then you say, but I'm an independent self. No, you're not. Not when there's actually 95 trillion cells that aren't human keeping you alive. I don't know if you know that, right? You know your skin is covered by bacteria and worms and parasites? If those get breached, what happens? You get very sick. But they're not human. But if you don't have them, you die. How about that? Not only is the skin covered in millions and millions and billions of bacteria, but they have specific areas of different species. They're specific to different parts of the body. The armpit, back here, back here. You can take samples and you'll find a whole different biome. That's like an ecological community of different creatures living on the body that serve different purposes for themselves and they want to keep you alive. Why? It's a symbiotic relationship. So without those creatures and without their intelligence and their sociability, because they they form layers and stacks and they communicate DNA and all kinds of chemical messages all day long, they're talking to each other, you'd be dead very quickly, die very quickly. So, anybody independent? No. Just feel that way. Like echoes and drumbeats, they appear because of conditions. That is, all things appear because of conditions. Nothing's independent. has an independent existence. They are impermanent, like lightning and water bubbles. These are the, Now you see how the different allu- examples of illusion come up? They appear and yet have no reality, like mirages and reflections of the moon on water. Meditate well by contemplating in this way. So what, the, what what's normally done is you take a brief paragraph or one line and in three or six, six sessions a day you reflect on it 
take up a posture, standing, sitting, walking, and you reflect on it for a while, you let it go and let the intelligence do its work. So for instance, here it is, recite. It says now recite. So this wouldn't be like a mantra, it's more like recite the following contemplation to bring it forth. All these appearances, forms, sounds, and smells, tastes, horses, oxen, and houses, appear but are non-existent. They appear because of conditions but are impermanent, have no reality, and are devoid of real existence like dreams and illusions. Practice this recitation and meditation. Contemplate in this way in all meditation and post-meditation periods. Usually saying months, 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 months. Just do it. Keep that. You say that six times a day in six sessions and then move into a meditation. That's right. Take a posture and meditate. That's how it's done. Same way when we practiced the progressive stage of emptiness, we were given a class uh, once or twice a day, usually once in the morning, and then you go away and you read the book, or you read that section over and over and over again, and find parts that you want to work on, like one line or two lines, and read it. Walk, it's a very uh, uh, cat, Christian method, contemplation. Walk back and forth with the book, right? If you can't memorize it, I'm, I'm actually pretty, pretty... Um, awful memorizing. But, so back and forth, right? And then close the book. And just let the work be done. Let the work be done. Or out the water, look in the water. And you'll see. It'll go in. It'll go in. It's, gonna, it's not brainwashing. It's just raising the question, raising the question, raising the question. That's contemplation. I'm going to give you now the teaching of training in the mirror. Sure. All these appearances, forms, sounds, smells, tastes, horses, oxen, and houses appear but are non-existent. They appear because of conditions but are impermanent, have no reality, are devoid of all of, of real existence like dreams and illusions. The reason I'm not asking you to write this down is because you have lots. Mm-hmm over and over and over again. You pick what's meaningful to you, what resonates, keep it short, keep it simple, write it out, and go for it. That's how it's done. Now I'm going to give you the training uh, practice two, training in the impure illusory body, stabilizing attainment. This is the short form. I think I might give you the long form and then give you, read this to you, because the longer form, the text that I was given and taught by Namjoon Rinpoche, um, is a bit more um, explicit. Computers are great, eh? Just carry all these texts around. I've, I've, I probably have 100, 200 texts on here now. Various friends that actually um, give me CDs of um, scanned Dharma texts. It's quite wonderful. I can travel. I'm just going to write a little essay here. Just to me. <laughs> I like doing that. Certain perverse humor. Let's see if I can find it. No, I've got the right reflection here. I'm looking at myself. <laughs> it's the right one. It's the right one. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Now, if you have any tendencies towards psychosis, split personality, um, 
clinical bipolar, manic, manic states, uh, that kind of thing, uh, please don't do this, okay? And if you're currently on medication for something fairly serious, I'd recommend not doing this, so please take that as a an order. But I'd like to give this teaching out. Uh, it's not given out that often, but it's uh, not advisable for unstable minds. Standing before a mirror, observe the reflection of your own body, looking at the image for some time. And consider how this image is produced by a combination of various factors. That is, the image is produced it arises by the following factors, and there can be more. The mirror, the body, light, space, and so on. Only under certain conditions. So what you do is you, you start by looking at so-called yourself in the mirror. And the first thing, instead of analyzing you, you analyze how the image appears. It appears due to the a light in the room, it appears due to the nature of the mirror, the length, the distortion in the mirror, all these kinds of things. Positioning. So you want to keep rearranging how the image appears by changing the conditions. And one, one method is keep turning the light on and off. So do it at night, or do it during the day, but at night it's kind of cool, right? So it's pitch black, or partly dark, and you turn the light on, and there appears, this appearance arises, you turn the light off, and it's gone. So without the light, there is no appearance. This is, this is profound, because eventually it's going to get deep in there, and you'll see, without the light of clinging, there's no appearance. If there's no clinging, guess what happens? You vanish. Does that mean you die? No. What comes up? What happens when clinging vanishes? You vanish. What appears? When, when appearance of self and objects vanish, what arises if it's, if, it's, if it's actually insight and not split or psychotic or just a kind of funny drug experience or something like that? What, what happens? What, what's the only thing that can happen? Is the self-illuminating wisdom mind appears. But it can be so fast that some people don't recognize it. Just like a little taste. What was that? Whoa. Or it can be profoundly life-changing. Hopefully, yes. So play with the conditions. Don't get into, do I look good? Why don't I look good? And, <laughs> no, not yet. But, and, and, how, and, and why do I re react to the appearance? And all no, no. Just keep looking. The appearance in the mirror is only due to causes and conditions, and it can be manipulated. This is important. Do it again and again and again and again and again until you start to realize. Then you try it with other things. Well, how does the lake look at different times of the day? Your vision of the lake changes what? How many times a day? A thousand? Ten thousand times in a day? But when we, we make a story, we say, oh, it's Lake Athelan. Last night I went out and it was beautiful. I was just looking at the lights in the distance and just, just like a dreamscape and got up this morning, same thing, very early in the morning, just standing there and going, look at this dreamscape, eh? It's fantastic. And in a couple of hours it'll be completely different. 
Another hour will be different. That one the other day when it was frost covered on the patio, frost, warm light, frost, warm light, frost, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Made no difference to me. Just an appearance. Appearance, appearance, appearance. Under certain conditions, the appearance arises. Therefore, it's independent, interdependent. It is an object of dependent arising without any self-substance. Objects and experiences only arise dependent on causes, not their self-existent nature. That's how all arises, including self. Only arises depending on causes and conditions, waves. If there's no waves on the ocean, there's no arisal. Create waves, and you see things. It appears, and yet it's void. It's empty. Empty of any real substantial nature. Next, number, next one. Then observe the appearance of the image, supposedly self, image, supposedly, together with its clothes and ornaments, and consider whether you are pleased or displeased with it. Okay? So how does that appearance feel emotionally? And does the emotional appearance shape what you see? Give an example. You're uh, 28 years old, 27 years old, maybe 31. And all of a sudden you look in the mirror, (gasps) there's a wrinkle. There's a little wrinkle. There's a wrinkle starting. (gasps) There's a wrinkle starting. How does that shape the appearance? What happens when you look at the wrinkle and you go, oh, a, a wrinkle? What do you see? A wrinkle. Are you seeing the being? No, you're seeing a wrinkle. And now the being, the appearance, takes on a different characteristic because of one identifying conceptual characteristic. Did you see how it works? So now when you look at the image in the mirror, because it's easier to do with a mirror instead of like this. But if you look at the so-called your being in the mirror, which isn't your being, do you know that now? When you look at the image in the mirror, who is it? Kelly, who is it? Just a projection. Just Just a light appearance in a mirror. Is it you? But where's the emotional content? You see, that's what's what's beautiful about this meditation. You can start to feel, look at that. I looked at my nose and I love it. No, I looked at my nose, but I don't like the shape of it. Hmm, I wonder if a little nose job would, I wonder what a nose job would cost. Whatever it is. So how does the image of you get built? That's what the meditation's about. How does it get built? It's called impure appearance. Impure appearance. Because it's not an enlightened uh, form. Impure appearance. You're now dissecting the feeling of impure appearance. Even though you're actually looking at the Edom. We're not there yet. You're actually looking at the Edom. But it's too, too impure to see it. Why? Because it's tainted. 
is tainted with I'm so-and-so. And if I only had uh, uh, narrower shoulders, if my hair wasn't so gray, if it was more, if it was brown instead of black, if my eyes didn't turn down, weren't slanted, or they turn up, whatever it is. Do you see? You see. Or the clothes. Why am I wearing those clothes? Those are pretty clothes. Those are okay clothes. So try it. Put on a pink hat. Try a cowboy hat. Try a guy's hat. Try a girl's hat. Put on some girls' clothes, women's clothes. Put on some men's clothes. We we uh, the, in the five-month retreat. Remember this? Uh, some of you were at the five-month retreat in 2006. Near the end of the retreat, uh, I had everybody change into somebody else. Like really change into somebody else. Clothes, the works. And it was amazing. Eh? Bill has some very profound experiences of just changing the clothes. Changes the being profoundly and the way people relate to you. So how much is you? Now you ask the question, who's the real you in all this? Where is the you? Is it the hat, the hair, the nose, the eyes, all of it? But what happens if you change the hair? So if you change the hairdo substantially, have you changed you? How about your nails? Enough? Nose? Ears? What's it going to take to change you? The feeling of you appearing there. Can you expand then a bit on this clothes situation? You were saying... The clothes situation. Sounds like something from the war room at the, at the, at the White House. We have a clothes situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because we're we're talking and looking in the mirror that that's not us or ourselves. No, the contemplation is what is it about these ornaments that constitute self, including your nose. Yeah, of course, you can take your clothes off um, and try it too, but. But um, what is it that identifies us? What is it that makes us appear to us recognizable? What are we clinging to? Where do we find the pockets of clinging? Do we like our nose? Do we like our eye color? Do we like the way we look? Do we, or do we like it a lot? And yet when we did the retreat and people changed clothes to the other people, they became that person. Mm-hmm. They also got treated. In some in similar ways, yes, yeah. So it's partly a question of who are you, what constitutes the experience of you, of self. We need to do different things to get it to land, of what of how deeply illusory is self, and how deeply the clinging to self is, and how much suffering it causes. Would anybody in the room deny? By the way, you can. I don't mind. Would anybody in the room deny? that the clinging around self causes some massive suffering to most beings. Would anybody say, no, that's not true? It's caused by some other reason? So this is why. This just goes right to the heart of the suffering. Right to the heart of the suffering. I want to be a certain way, 
and I keep it a certain way. But it's completely a dream, illusory experience. And it's a serious situation. We must take care of it. It is. Practicing thus, you will... uh, Yes. Uh, So observe whether you are affected by the appearance. And try things like this. Are you pleased or displeased? Try to feign a burst into anger or a smile. Is it a genuine smile? Do I look angry? Do I look? Do I... How am I? Try things. Try laughing. Try smiling. Try crying. And observe whether you are affected by it. Fight against yourself. Hit yourself. Maybe even try this. I've tried this. It's kind of cool. Want to try something really neat? Take a razor. I know this sounds bizarre, but take a razor and look in the mirror and try, instead of looking at your body, try looking at the mirror and see what happens when you just try to try to cut yourself with a razor, stick a pin in there. Try that. Just try that. You won't get... But if you try uh, a razor or a pin, make sure it's sterile. Okay, please? But, but try it. Just see what that's like to prick or cut the appearance in the mirror. See, see what the emotional reaction is like and go, wait a minute. Pardon? How? Huh? Well, you might actually draw blood. You could try cutting the mirror, but try no. Actually, what I meant, what I what I what I meant is not cutting the mirror. But you can try that. You can try that. But actually, what you call yourself and see what it's like to look at a reflection in a mirror and, and just try it. Okay? But yes, you can also try that too. Is take a lance and go at the image. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have to keep buying mirrors. It's, 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 I don't know what Laurel will say. Remember the time we, what was it when we, I gave the teaching of the um, nailing, nailing the fantasies and daydreams to the wall exercise, remember? And I went, where was I? Somewhere at the Dharma Center, and I'm going, oh, wait a minute. Uh, can you please not use large spikes because the the board is going to get really mad, the staff is going to get really mad, that now there's large holes in the wall. So please be careful about taking a, uh, an axe to uh, the uh, villa's mirrors, you know, attacking the mirror, this kind of thing. I think Laurel might get a little bit upset, you know, knives at it. And, Practicing thus, you will discover that all pleasures and displeasures are illusory and subjective, created by one's own mind, and so your clingings will be greatly reduced. And then practice on echoes and other places like that. And then so on and so on, practicing different ways. Practicing thus, you will... Well, I'll read this to you. To practice the meditation on echoes, you should go to a place where where they can be produced then shout loudly many pleasing and displeasing words to praise or malign yourself. I'm it! I'm wonderful. And observe the reactions of pleasure and displeasure. Practicing thus, you will soon realize that all words, pleasant and unpleasant, are as illusory as the echoes themselves. 
If you can practice this meditation successfully, you will soon become indifferent. Actually, the word indifference is wrong. Uh, equanimous, equanimous, uh, full of equanimity towards both praise and blame, and you will attain liberation. But you have to practice, attain, attain to it. Until you, you can equate pleasure and displeasure, joy and pain, gain and loss, you should continue to meditate on illusoriness in a quiet place or in solitude. After this, you can go to a village or town and practice among people and activities. If you find that you still react favorably or unfavorably to agreeable and disagreeable things, you should return to solitude and practice once more. So one of the methods is you practice like this, or you don't practice, illusory body practice, then you go to a village or a town into a situation that's going to be challenging for you. Very pleasurable, very displeasing, maybe a butcher shop where they're cutting up bodies. Whatever, whatever gets, your, gets you going and see actually how well you've really done. Or maybe, and one, even one practice is given is you go into a marketplace and you start a fight. Like you actually start something going on so that people you know, yell at you. You actually act like an idiot and they yell at you and tell you you're a jerk and so on. You see how you react or you do something really wonderful and people praise you. So you try all these different things. Jealousy, all kinds. You just you just go out into places where it's shining. So what did we do after class? What did I do after class last night? Mm-hmm. I turned on a movie, a gory war movie, graphically, one of the most graphic, um, bloody movies I've seen in. Well, I don't watch a lot of movies in years. A war movie. And just taking his practice, seeing how it reacted to the conscious later seeing how the images would come up, what, like waves, you know, it's good, good meditation. Instead of going, oh, well, I go home and or go back to the cabin and, or back to the villa and uh, meditate. I went, well, no, actually, let's see what's on there. What? Oh, this is really gory. This is really graphic. This is, you know, some, remember the, the music, right? The helicopter's flying in Somalia. You know that something's Black Hawk down, right? You know that something pretty creepy's going to happen. It's not going to be good. It's marvelous. You go, you just watch the physiology, thoughts come up. What comes up? It's excellent practice. This is this is this is real practice. Yeah? But you have to have stability. So you practice in stability. You practice in in um, um, uh, what's the word? Illusory body, and then you test to see where are the pockets of um, affect. So to read, I'll read from this text now. Training in the impure illusory body, stabilizing the attainment. Look at your reflection in a mirror. Contemplate how it makes no difference whether the reflection is adorned or beaten, praised or maligned. Your own body is the same as your reflection. Your own body is the same as your reflection. What is it that you actually experience? See, so Andrea and Anne, the floor... Was it solid, or liquid, or airy, or flimsy? What was the actual experience? It's all projection. It's all projection. Yes? Uh, where I, I find myself stopped is when I'm doing this, and I'm, and I'm seeing the reflection, but I'm also I'm actually having sensation in the hand that I'm holding up to the mirror. There is no sensation in the mirror. There is sensation here. Keep keep work, keep going into the sensation. 
and, and is the sensation, what's the sensation you're having in the mirror? There is a sensation. What's the sensation? Visual. But they're, they're not the same, so I, I assume that this one is real and the one in the mirror is not because this one has sensation. But that's where the mirror becomes very important because what is a sensation? Then you have to ask, what is a sensation? What's that? Black. <laughs> it's a reflection. Where's the ref- where's the mirror? So this is now you see. Ask. Okay, you keep doing this. Where's the mirror? Where's the mirror? The mirror is a metaphor. Mirror is an outer symbol. Where's the mirror? Where's the mirror? The mind, consciousness. You see. So what's the sensation? No different than looking in a mirror. It's reflecting the mind. Where was this? Where was the helicopter? Reflecting the mind. And the property of a mirror is so close to the same feel of the mind. Look at your reflection in a mirror. Contemplate how it makes no difference whether the reflection is adorned or beaten, praised or maligned. Your own body is the same as your reflection. In other words, let's change the language. Maybe that's what gets confusing for you. Let's change the language. Your body is no difference in essence in the nature of reflecting appearances. In other words, the nature of reflecting appearances in a mirror or with your conscious is exactly the same principle. That, is that clear? Okay. Sometimes just language in a text. That's why you read different texts, different teachings, why teachers sometimes teach for weeks on end. Why? As people tell me, ah, today I finally got it. Whereas before, I really didn't hear it very well. It's the way you said it. It's not the way I said it. It's the way you picked it up. And that's why. Sure. So if, if, if you say your own body is the same as your reflection, you clearly say, well, it's not quite. It's not. That's not really the essence of it. The essence of it is the mirror reflects just like consciousness reflects all experience. That's the key. See, if you don't do this, you won't know that. <laughs> this is the key. You have to do this, and you have to have, have good experience. Otherwise, you'll get confused with these instructions. Because remember, these are translations. <coughs> By the way, this, this man's an excellent translator. Excellent translation. But again, like all texts, if you don't receive oral teaching, and if you don't practice, then you can practice and you can get very confused and misunderstand what the directions are. It's not, it's the na- the mirror is uh, telling you or showing you that the mind consciousness acts mirror-like. It reflects all appearances under different causes and conditions. Yes? So would, would they, change the words depending on what he does more appearance Yes. Yes. That's right. We can keep on going. Innate nature. Now you can study the mirror. You see, you can go into the mirror and 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 look very, which I want to give teachings on. Very carefully look at the mirror, how it reflects, and by seeing that, you'll see that the mirror is completely open to all images, as is consciousness open to all appearances. That's why the mirror is one of the most direct methods of profound, profound liberation. 
if you study the mirror. Now, not only do you study the appearance, but you study the mirror. Just like you need to study consciousness in operation, not theoretically in operation, you study the mirror. Then you go back and study consciousness. Study the mirror, study the consciousness. Study the mirror, study the consciousness. Eventually, it'll land. Your voice is like an echo. Your thoughts, so in other words, as, as Terry, Terry bringing this up, other, other Terry, Terry, so yeah, the sound isn't the same in a mirror, the touch isn't the same, so what do you do? Go to an echo. So the echo acts as the mirror, it acts as the metaphor. You see? Um, you just have to find some other example. Your voice is like an echo, your thoughts are like mirages mistaken for water. And now the recitation. Here's the recitation. This would be good to write down if you want. I mean, it's been given, but but uh, this is this is how it's given traditionally. This reflection in the mirror has no joy or pain. This is this is, by the way, I think a really beautiful pith instruction. This reflection in the mirror has no joy or pain. The reflection in the mirror has no joy or pain. Beauty or ugliness. Pleasure or displeasure. And I'll read that once again, just for those that write a little slower. This reflection in the mirror has no joy or pain. Beauty or ugliness. Pleasure or displeasure. Period. My own body is no different from it. My own body is no different from it. My speech and mind are like echoes and mirages. My speech and mind are like echoes and mirages. Okay. And it says, practice that meditation and recitation. Why all this practice? What's the need? Why all this practice? All these meditations. Because some beings have it happen naturally. And then they have to figure out how to help people get there. Other people experience it in pieces, bits by bit by bit, in stages. And then they have to figure out a meditation to guide those that want to also do it. And then most of these are from an oral tradition for 1,500, 2,000 years. So there's, there's three ways in which it happens. Someone has a very profound experience where it comes all in totality and has to figure out then, how do we guide people to have that experience? that realization. Others, it comes in pieces over life, lifetime or 30 years. And then how do you fashion experience, how do you fashion meditations to come very close to the experience or the realization? And then uh, gathering uh, hundreds of different ways, approaches that people have discovered that work for themselves. Okay, that's how it works. These have been, te- these have been tested for thousands of years. They work. I think that's plenty for this morning. Dreams. Dreams.
Actually, there's another point I want to make because I'm going to go on to the next section uh, this evening, which is the echo. The point I want to make uh, also about dreams is this. I'll leave this with you. Uh, I could speak on this for a couple hours, but I'm not going to, but I do teach this all the time, is the contemplation of dreams and mirrors and so on also is about power. If you can wake up from the dream, you can also learn to shape the dream. So you shape from blind becoming, oh my God, what have I been doing for 15 years? Where have I been in this job or this relationship or living in this house for 15, 20 years? Why? To what? Shaping a life. Shaping karma. Once you understand the nature of appearances and the freedom in the mirror, that the mirror can reflect anything, that causes and conditions can shape anything, what does that tell you? What's the insight? Consciousness is free and it can shape and it can develop and it can go anywhere and it can learn anything. If you can do that, then you become eventually what's called a master of karma, which means you can actually shape a life. You can shape the dream. The dream you're not subject to the dream, you can actually shape the dream. Many people find themselves powerless because they're in a waking dream. They are powerless at night, they're powerless in the day. They're subject to birth, they're subject to decay, they're subject to ill health, they're subject to thoughts, emotions, they're steered by people's views. Hey, uh, Jamie, um, you know, uh, what do you say about eating 400 papayas? I hear it's good for your health. Sure, yeah, no problem. God, I feel kind of sick. Does this sound familiar? I'm making, but, but, yeah, why don't we do this? You know, we're going to go whitewater rafting down the Sangpo River, down that that mysterious gorge, see what happens. That has a drop of about, you know, 3,000 feet, something like that, or 2,000 feet in 50, 50 miles. You know what kind of drop that is? That's like white water rafting from hell. Dreams, eh? Chasing dreams, chasing dreams. But how about actually sculpting a life that is about awakeness and liberation and compassion for all beings? And is waking up and seeing that actually what could be more freeing and what, what would it be a glorious dream of awakeness is to actually come out of it and help all beings come out of it. You see? So, sculpting. Sculpting. If you're going to be creative and craft, what better craft is there than to craft the awakening of beings, including yourself? So it's not just about you seeing appearances, not just about you freeing up, but it's actually about being able to sculpt and walk out of the movie theater. Right? Come out of the dream. Walk and change the dream. Instead of being caught in a room and being subject to a room, right? If it's too hot, what can we do? We can open the door. Right? It's too cold? We can turn the heat on. Certain countries you can't. Why? Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, no, we don't do that. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Not being subject to the prison of blind becoming of the waking dream and the dreaming dream. Waking up out of it so you can sculpt it, change it, and see what it is. 
becoming powerful. That's power. If it's for compassion and love. Okay? So I said I would uh, see some beings this morning. And... Uh, No questions? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's practice number two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've closed the page. I'm not sure where it is now. Oh, the book. Um, later. Can you ask me later? Because then you, it's it's too much dialogue. Just just listen. This is a class. Write it down. Practice. And uh, later, just ask me at the end of the retreat. Could I have that text? If you need to, be a good idea. Yeah, good idea too. Strengthening, why not? Yeah, instead of going right back to bed, it's good to do a bit of uh, of inner yoga, a bit of completion stage yoga, of the inner yogas. It's good, and not just go right back to bed, but actually stay up and contemplate it and bring the energy, bring bring about uh, reflection, the central channel. It's good. Eventually, you want to actually develop stability so that all experience is really in the central channel. Not just in the central channel, but it is the central channel. All, you know this. You know this is all going. All the inner yogas is what? All life is in the central channel. All experience, in fact, is in the central channel. Once the wisdom mind arises, where's the central channel? It's large in the universe. That's 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 the idea. That's that's the principle. Is you want to be able to indwell the Yadam actually. The reason why you visualize inside the central channel is because you always want to be consciousness indwelling in the central channel in all experience. So you get used to it, you practice that way until it begins to come through. That this is the central channel. This is the palace of the Yadam. All beings are Yadams. All beings are the deity. All beings are Guru Mind. All appearances are Guru Mind. This is called now pure appearance. I was teaching impure appearance. Pure appearance is you begin to see all beings as Buddhas. All phenomena as central channel. All arisings of consciousness, even a brick, a piece of wood, is what? No more than Buddha mind. What's that? Central channel. So when people talk about the central channel, you know this thing? This thing? In fact, what is it? What's the central channel? The wisdom mind, the Yidam. It's the Yidam. It's the Yidam. The guru mind. How big is this? How big is the central channel? Very thin to begin with, right? And then how big does it get? Size of the universe. So that, that that wisdom mind is is totally expansive, unobstructed, and everywhere. Has no limits. But it's good to start start small. Or you may find that you enter into the death stages. Not that you'll die necessarily, but you'll enter into the death stages. It might be too overwhelming. So you don't, uh, at the beginning, you might look at the red bindu from the outside, but where you really want to go is there's no you but the red bindu. There's no you but the red sphere in the throat central channel. That's really what you want to do. That's That's the art is you disappear into the red light and you're actually looking out from inside the bindu, not you, 
there's an experience of awareness looking outside from inside the bindu into this open radiance. But then as, what I felt was as I fell asleep, it would start to go down? That's good. I'm yes. supposed to keep trying to hold it down? No. If it's going down to the heart center, go with it. Because that means you're going into sleep. And that's good. And follow it. Uh, this is very good uh, for, for all of you as instruction. Uh, once you once you stay once it develops in the in the throat, and as you fall asleep and it slips into the heart center, go with it. Don't 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 fight it. Go with it, and let the consciousness dissolve into the heart center, into the bindu in the heart, because that's the unfolding of the light of sleep. You want to do that. It's exactly correct. You want to do that. Go right with it, right into the light of sleep, and trust that. Of course, trust that the programming is is that the dreams will become lucid because of the uh, yoga in the throat. So the yoga of, of light, as taught... Now, there's a yoga. One of the six yogas is called the yoga of light, the clear light yoga. And that's where we now follow the falling asleep into, into dreamless sleep from awake and holding the consciousness vividly alert but completely calm and open. Otherwise, you won't fall asleep. Right into pure um, awareness, which is the nature of uh, deep sleep. And if you can do that, you can then recognize the wisdom mind because the, the consciousness dissolves into the heart center every night. You have an opportunity every single time you go to sleep to experience the clear light of the mind. Not the death light, which is quite ultimate, but the, near, the nearest light, the nearest, the nearest one. Get a taste of it. Okay? Good. By this powerful activity, this punyakama, may it lead to the cessation of suffering for all beings. Idante punyakamang asawaki wangho do, idante punyakamang asawaki wangho do, idante punyakamang asawaki wangho do. May all beings be well and happy, and may all beings be established in a continuum of freedom. The perfect union of wisdom and compassion, which is the nature of the Yidam, the Guru mind.